Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where we explore what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your lineage, and to your community. Welcome back to me (laughs) from Little Winter's Rest. And what do you think of the new look and sound? It was time for a change. I needed to shift things around, shake it up. So we've got beautiful new artwork that you're probably looking at wherever you're listening to the podcast. Thank you to Emma Brownson for that. And new sound new little intro, outro action. That was exciting for me to creatively change things around and even go deeper into this work of belonging, which is a lifelong journey for me and a lifelong journey for you. So I'm back from winter's hibernation, a much needed winter's rest where I really powered down Attempted to spend less time on my phone, although some days were better than others. And got quiet, rested, something I really needed. Actually, if you're on my newsletter list last week, I told you how it went. And (laughs) what I I did was I, I think I mistook hibernation for isolation, which is interesting because I am an extrovert, meaning... I derive energy from interactions with other people. I still like to be alone sometimes, but I feel energized by being with people. And I was just like in that sort of late fall, early winter, feeling cold, feeling tired, maybe a little burned out vibe. And I was like, I just want to be alone. And I have an introverted husband who's like, I definitely want to be alone. And I was like, let's be alone. (laughs) And It turned out to actually be a little bit of suffering for me in which I confused hibernation and isolation and realized on the deepest levels of my soul that we need connection. It can be boundary connection. It can be time-blocked connection. It can be a dip in and dip out, what my friend Leanda Swain calls a quick hang. I'm down for a quick hang or talk on the phone but we need it. We really, really need it. And that was my big lesson, I think, from my winter's hibernation was we need each other. And it was really important for me to feel that and reach out for support when I didn't necessarily feel super resource, this term resource, meaning I didn't feel like I was like on a hundred percent. My cup was not full. When my cup isn't full, I have this little pattern of being like, well, then I can't reach out because maybe people will take from my resources and I have nothing to give instead of being like, oh, receiving energy, reaching out and saying, hey, I'm I'm exhausted, I'm doing well, I'd love to connect. Are you open to it? 
I need support. Are you open to it? And I did that and I was so nervous and it ended up being a really, really beautiful, deep healing lesson for me in receptivity and asking for support. So I'm on the other side of that and it's January and I'm still kind of cozy, bundled up, sleeping a lot, but I wanted to get back at it with this podcast. Really did. So I've got the first interview of 2020 or whenever you're listening to this. And it's with the amazing Ariella Daly, aka beekeeping in skirts on Instagram. So Ariella is a beekeeper, writer, teacher, and musician. She lives in Northern California, a little bit north of me. And her work with the bee came through a lifelong interest in human connection with the non-human world. She is trained in the European shamanic tradition with the bee and the serpent as its central motifs. I read these words and I didn't fully understand them, but my body said, I want more. So within that tradition, she's trained in the healing and seership modality known as the pollen method. Her work is a fusion of her love for the natural world and embodied womb-centric practices. She is so cool. (laughs) And she teaches the practicalities of beekeeping in a natural way. And she's also the, um, I took a little workshop from her many years ago. And the way she talked about the bees felt so much less clinical than other beekeeping. I don't keep bees. I just take beekeeping classes. I've been taking beekeeping classes for at least 10 years. It's coming. It's coming down the pike. I'm just getting, I just want to feel prepared. You know that feeling? I just want to read all the books and take all the classes before I dive in. It's like the universe is like, no, you need to just get started, get your hands dirty. Well, that's coming. But Ariella talks about the bees and hives and queens and every little part of it, honey, propolis, royal jelly, the waggle dance, with such a deeply reverent perspective and respect for the bees, even about being stung. We talk on this interview about how she understands and receives the medicine of being stung by a bee. It's just so cool. We talk about how the bees came to her. We talk a little bit about cool stuff about bees. But I really wanted to dive in deeper to the esoteric, the spiritual realm, and to the ancient way of the Melissae, the bee priestesses, the oracular storytellers, the oracles of Delphi in Greece, ancient Greece. It's so cool. We really get into it. So I'm really excited to keep bees someday. (laughs) And I think Ariella will make you want to do that too. So take a listen to my conversation with Ariella Daly. Um, So I was thinking back to the first time I met you, this beekeeping in skirts. And that was up in Mendocino at Liz Miliarelli's Folk Magic and Medicine of Old Europe class. And you totally blew my mind with the wisdom of the honeybee and with your story, your life story and the way you spoke about the bee and the way you spoke about our connection to the earth and our wombs. It was like so different from anything I had ever heard. And I like traipse around the goddess type, the goddess folk. There was something about the way you shared your story and your connection. I felt enchanted by you and your work. And basically ever since then, I've been a devoted follower and find everything you share to be like, I have a hunger for it. Like my loins crave it and my blood and bones recognize it. So yeah, I'd love to honor you in that way, first of all. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Such a wonderful um, start. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'd love to know, I asked this of some people on the podcast. It seems like something I want to ask you, which is, 
And the answer is whatever feels true for you. Who are your people and what do you come from? Oh, good question. Good question. Wow. Well, I believe very strongly in nodding to our teachers and our ancestors, our well ancestors and the people who have influenced us. Um, I'm gonna. I'm not going to start with where the bees came from, though. I actually am going to start with my father and my mother, of all things, because my father raised me on storytelling and would tell us fantastical mythic tales every night, and he would make them up, um, very mythic landscapes. So that influenced me deeply. And my mother, who is fiercely devoted to the natural world, and my childhood was filled with encounters with the natural world. So the weaving of these two things made me very hungry as a young teen for understanding sort of where those two things meet, where, where what's the confluence between the wild natural world and all the magic of encountering the owl at dusk and the stag on the road and you know, all of those moments with my Celtic Irish lineage, especially living in California and as I, as I was growing up trying to reconcile what it is to feel cut off from roots, what it feels to be cut off from the land that you feel like your bloodline comes from, and also how to make peace with being what I would call now a white settler, although I didn't have the language for it at that time. And so I started a long quest and I did all the things that you're talking about. I steeped myself in all the goddess culture stuff and I um, practiced ceremonies and I made up ceremonies and all of that was wonderful and deeply informing. But then, but then the bees came in. I wasn't interested in bees. I really had no, um, I wasn't like, oh, they've called me my whole life. It's destined. It was a moment. It was a moment in time. It was based um, in a beautiful exchange that involved a lot of heartbreak and a lot of love between myself and another. And actually the man who introduced me to backpacking in the wilderness. So that was special. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He runs a program called Weaving Earth. Highly recommend it. And through that, I just had one of those encounters where I was fully spirit-led by the magic of the honeybees, and they brought me to the teachers I've been working with for the past 10 years. So my teachers in terms of the honeybees and this current lineage that I've been studying within are namely Naomi Lewis, Kate Sheila or Kate Sheila, I never know how to pronounce her last name, who is involved now in California. She lives in California now and does um, a lot of dance work. But Naomi Lewis runs the Lyceum, formerly called the Path of Pollen. um, And it's a school in England at the Sacred Trust that works very deeply with women's wisdom and European bee shamanism. Now, I don't even know that was a thing when I sounds Yeah, it is. It is. So, yeah, I started with her partner's book, uh, Simon Buxton's book, The Shamanic Way of the Bee, that was handed top to me, and then a series of synchronistic events. That's where I come from. Beautiful. Yeah, I um, I love to know more about the way the bee came in, because I'll just contextualize for me. Like I grew up knowing that bees were important to like the survival of the planet and also like fearing their sting and also being like, I don't know, it was sort of that like basic progressive education of a child where I was like, I know like uh, very much in my head, like I know bees are important and we want to save them. Also, it might sting me. and and they make honey, some of them, right? And there was something about the way you talked about bees to me, which is maybe like, what, four years ago now, Mm -hmm. where I was drawn into like, oh, there is like wisdom here. There is like sisterhood here. There is like ancient knowledge here. There is, it's like a wooing. It, It felt so exquisite. And so I'd love to know more about how the bee came in and maybe what your relationship, this is a huge question I'm realizing, but what your relationship <laughs> is 
with the bee and and hoping that those who are listening here wherever they are in relationship to bees can sort of tap into that more deeply that's a wonderful question and it's one of the leading questions of my life i will continue to be asking it of myself for a long time but to me there's there's two sides to it there's how do the bees come in as bees as a as an actual organism to my life and then how did they come in in the more what you could call mystic wombic esoteric uh, way and I'll touch on that first. So honeybees in particular, a little shout out to all the solitary bees and bumblebees in the world. We love you too. But honeybees and Apis mellifera, which is the Latin name for the European honeybee and also the, the honeybee that you'll find in Africa, have this long interwoven relationship to humans living with and side by side, um, like with as in beekeeping and side by side in the wild with bees. So humans have been living next to bees or with bees and enamored with bees for millennia. And one of the traditions that grew out of our fascination with the bees were the temple priestesses in the ancient world in Greece pre um pre hellenistic greece i'm hoping i'm pronouncing that right i always worry when i'm on podcasts but ancient greece prior to the advent of patriarchy as we know it today or the beginning of the pantheon of the gods that we would call the olympian gods so prior to there was a very long standing tradition of oracular priestesses known as the melissa which means honeybee and the honeybee was seen within that tradition and many others. You'll find this in Norse mythology. You'll find this in Lithuanian mythology. But I'm going to speak specifically to the Greek um, lineage piece from that I've, I've learned from my teachers who have their roots in England and also trace back to Lithuania and from there back to ancient Greece. So within this this ancient ever ever new and indefinitely ancient way there's an understanding that the bees can go between the worlds and what i mean by that is they can traverse our experience of ordinary reality and then the non-ordinary reality that one experiences in places like dreams shamanic journeys and altered states uh, they were also beings that seemed to issue forth and bring life from the womb of the earth. And when you look into ancient traditions such as the Melissa tradition, there is such a big emphasis placed on the womb. The path of pollen or the lyceum is a wombic tradition or a gynocentric tradition, meaning that it places paramount, paramount import on the womb as a dreaming vessel, as a seeing vessel, as an oracular vessel. Oracular meaning someone who speaks through or from the earth through their body. So using the womb as a place or a seat of wisdom. We don't have that in any model in our current modern day culture, we have to find it. We have to go seeking it. So many women that I work with don't even know at first how to drop into the womb. What is it? What is that? What does mm. that feel like? Where is that even? Like I know it as like I'd cramps and I want to be connected to it, but what does it mean for it to be a seat of wisdom and power? And so to paint a picture in ancient Greece, um, at, particularly at the Oracle of Delphi, although there were other places like Dodona, priestesses or bee women, known as the Delphic bee or the Melissa, would go, or or the Pythoness, which is uh, synonymous with the same role, would go into a chamber in the temple and sit on a tripod with legs parted and inhale from the earth the wisdom of the earth and speak prophecy prophecy not necessarily being about like this will happen or this won't happen but what does it mean to speak 
for the earth as a vessel of the earth, just in the same way that the bees come pouring out of the earth and out of the caves and out of the trees, bringing fertility, bringing abundance, and teaching us about eros and lovership with the animate earth. So that's part of it. <laughs> Casual. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I also got covered head to toe in bees um, as my like accidental initiation into working with them. So that's how they came in physically. In um, one moment? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was. Um, so I, I read this book. Um, kind of devoured it. I always talk about like that scene from the never ending story where he's reading the book and he realizes he's in the book and he screams and like chucks it across the room. It's like, Oh my God, what? Yeah. That's how that yeah. reading that book felt. I had to chuck it across the room moment, like left the house because I couldn't handle it. So I read the shamanic way of the bee and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this resonates in a way that I've been looking for. And I thought didn't exist. I thought this kind of thread had died. And, and that, that sorrow that you feel as a young woman coming into the world or wherever you are in your, your life or, or young man of just like, where, where are the roots of the traditions that were systematically hunted out and burned out of the fabric of things? And it turns out they're there. They're underneath things. And we have to find them in old words and old ways of speaking. And, and we have them in our DNA connected to our relationship to our bodies and the earth so i signed up for a class in england and i uh, was on the waiting list and it was called the way of the melissa at the sacred trust and um way way down the waiting list i i decided i gotta go find bees i've never been around bees i'll, I'll go do that so i ended up in sonoma county at that time i was living in nevada county i ended up here in sonoma county at the honeybee sanctuary called the melissa gardens and the person who is showing me about sun hives, which are a kind of alternative hive style, um, upended the, the inner basket. Think of a bee skep. It's like a bee skep. So upended the inner basket of a hive into the air. Um, so kind of bumped all the bees out that were clinging on to the inside. There's no comb. It was just the, the inner part of the basket. And right at that moment, the wind suddenly shifted, and I was sitting next to him um, a few feet away, and the wind shifted, and this clump of bees got carried by the wind over to me and, and landed all over me, head to toe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was in a tank top and a skirt. Like, I wasn't prepared at all to have bees crawling all over me. I'd never had any kind of experience like this. And of course, you know, you know, yeah, here's hundreds of stinging insects crawling all over me. Um, and I went into an immediate state of transcendent euphoria. Like I've never experienced since in just, I've experienced it in my work with the shamanic tradition that I'm part of, but I haven't experienced it in that kind of immediate out of the blue since. And I felt completely at one with the bees and I felt my body move with them. And it was you know, 15 minutes that lasted a couple lifetimes of just mm -hmm. moving with the bees. And that's how I got introduced to them. Wow. What an initiation, mm -hmm. like a baptism. Yeah, that's how it felt. I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get stung? No, no. The person yeah. next to me was afraid and got stung. Um, but I uh -huh. didn't know. I've been stung since in my life, but, um, Ooh, will but you no. share how you view being stung by a bee? Yes, I do. I will. It really depends. I would say that there are different ways that people get stung. Uh, as a beekeeper, I get stung when I make mistakes and that can be like, I move too fast or I get distracted bees require absolute presence or I lose some of my grace or I'm, I, you know, like squish a bee without realizing it by putting my hand down somewhere and not realize, you know, so it, it, it I get stung when they have something to communicate with me physically. I also have experienced sting in other people in my life and I've watched it happen over time when when the bees have a particular form of medicine to deliver to you. So my experience of getting stung is almost always one of gratitude to the bee for its sacrifice of its life. I always check in, like, 
where was I in any way causing harm? And sometimes they'll, they will just sting you. You'll get a really powerful sting. And I, it's a, such a potent medicine. I mean, there is bee venom therapy out there within the uh, Lyceum or pollen tradition. One of the forms of initiation is to be stung multiple times because it does take you into an altered state. It's that whole, how can venom be medicine versus poison? Mm. And I'm at, I, I don't have a big reaction. So at this point, I can actually start to track it physically moving through my body. And what I've noticed for people is that they often get stung in areas that they have pain on very specific meridian points that release things. I've been stung on my knee when I've been having knee problems, on my arm when I've been having tendinitis, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. I've even seen people stung like, on the tip of their crown and had complete sort of crown chakra blasted open moments. So it, it is a potent medicine. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm, I, what I'm craving now is sort of uh, feeling your words when you were speaking about um, the Melissa, Melissa, Melissa. Both. You can say Melissa or Melissa either way. The Melissa yeah. and the sort of oracular nature of connection to be and earth and prophecy. And I, I'm sensing maybe the audience is like, okay, but how does the bee teach us that? Like, if there's a way we can bring that to you, like, because <laughs> you are also a practical beekeeping master. And so wh- where, where is that connection made? And I mean, I love everyone needs to follow her on Instagram, beekeeping in skirts, because you you give beautiful little lessons of like, look at the queen. Now look at what they're doing. Now see how they're bearding. Now watch how they react to this heat wave. And it's just so beautiful. So is there a way you can connect that sort of divine state of being connected with the bees with like how you see the bees regularly? Yeah, that's a great, I have, I, I want to like, steep in that question for a while, but I'm going to do my best to answer it off the cuff. First off, I believe that almost all of our earth-based spiritual wisdom and, and even cosmic wisdom, any, any form of spirituality has its roots in people communing with, listening to, singing to, singing with, listening, dreaming, all of these things with the earth, the stars, the moon, the sun. And with that comes observation. So there's intuition, and and now we have observation in this form of what we would call science. But but it really is this deep kind of kinship and wanting to know and be in relationship with the flowering things and with the winged ones. And honeybees have been seen forever as a source of life. In fact, you know, you often hear about the land of milk and honey or how important milk and honey are. These are two life-sustaining forces. Honeybees are also very connected to the inherent flow of arrows and the way they relate to the flowers. So personally, I think that as we observe an animal, we start to observe some of the hidden wisdom behind it. And honeybees have a lot to offer there is an actual shift in your brain waves when you listen to the hive and its hum. A happy humming hive is can be euphoric. You know, an angry bee is a sound everyone knows and it's like, whoa, uh-oh, but the hum of a hive is the hum of life. And so that's one example. The the ingesting of the products of the bees, the the smell of beeswax, which is actually the only burning type of candle that purifies the air instead of contaminating the air. And that's part of why beeswax candles are so um, sacred. So there's, there's that piece. There's the fact that everything within a hive that a human consumes, including sting, is healing, has never been able to be reproduced by in any kind of artificial sense. And is perceived by many people, even if they aren't necessarily spiritual or have a spiritual kinship with the bees, is perceived almost as an alchemical experience because honey, wax, pollen, 
propolis, royal jelly, is all secreted from within the bee. So a bee ingests nectar from flowers, and then it goes through a process within her being and comes back out as honey, which is then medicine for the hive and medicine for the people. And so there's this beautiful relationship that's been cultivated for so long between the human and the bee. It's why we have, you know, and that old adage, um, ask the wild bee what the druid knows. There's mm-hmm. a sense of stored wisdom. So for me, in terms of your, your question of like, where does this oracular piece come from? It's kind of hard to answer, but the, the short of it is that there's a quality of the the super organism that is the bee that is collecting all of this is just my way of answering it all of the information of the earth held in the medicines from the earth because all of our medicines are coming from the flowers and the plants and the propolis which is tree resin stored within this collective humming living memory that is the hive that we then are learning from through sound, through scent, through touch, through ingesting honey. In fact, even uh, there is a um, belief that the oracular priestesses possibly even drank fermented um, beverages that included honey in their going to go into some of their altered states. Hmm. That's one lens to look through. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so then what does it mean with this era of ecocide? What does it mean that we're losing the bees? Right. Yeah. With that lens, with that oracular lens, like we're we're talking right now and Australia is burning. And you and I live in California and it's been three pretty gnarly wildfire seasons. And I know you share about eco grief and I just wonder you're, you're in such deep relationship with the bees and there's such conversation, like the day we're recording um, this huge study came out about how almond milk and the almond industry is really doing a number on the bees. And so I just always wonder like this work is, is touching on that, like listening to the bees, being with the bees and then feeling the death of the bees. Like what, Mm. what do you have to say about that? I'm just desperate to know really. So much. (laughs) Oh man. Well, first of all, it's just so interesting that you tell me that because for the last three days, I've every day I've wanted to post something about the almond industry and bees and just how complex the, the problem is that it's not, you know, people ask me, you know, is it okay to, to eat honey if I'm vegan? And, and I talk about, well, you know, let's also look at the almond groves. Let's, and if we're looking at almond groves, let's look at pesticides. And if we're looking at pesticides, let's look at big, you know, like big ag in general and, and not to have any position on plant-based or not plant-based. I think plant-based diets are really important. And I mostly eat that way as well, but, but we can't, we we can't separate it all. And that's part of what the bees do. The bees are part of a, a web that's imperceptible that lays itself over the earth and is mirrored by what I would say, like the mycelial web beneath the earth. And they are, I, I don't think it's that we're suddenly becoming aware of them. I feel, and this is kind of getting out there, but I, I almost feel like the bees are, um, are, are sounding the bells for us. They're out there to get our attention and not just because we've messed up, but because there's hope for us. It's a calling their kindred back. That's what it mm. feels like. And absolutely that involves such a reckoning with one's own relationship to the earth, one's own relationship to how to be earth honoring, and honestly, one's own relationship to the balance of the masculine and feminine within, because we need both. And for a good 2000 years or more, what we would call the feminine goddess culture, wombic awareness has been suppressed. So the bees being so deeply married to that symbolism are, and on, on a symbolic level, helping call that back in 
But to be a beekeeper or a bee lover during the ecocide is, um, it's heartbreaking. And sometimes I feel like. Okay. So I'm just going to tell everyone what happened because I probably sound different. My recorder ran out of battery just as you were talking about the heartbreak of living in a time of ecocide. And so I've gotten back on my AirPods and here we are continuing. So we can dive in on living in this age of ecocide and being in deep relationship with the bees. Yeah. Let's see if I can pick up that thread around. I mean, we can, we have to talk about heartbreak. We, we have to feel it. We have to feel the relationship to the earth. And I, I believe that part of it is choosing to be a witness and a witness to not just the destruction, but also life wants to persist. You give it the right conditions, and it's incredible how fast life bounces back. The bees are in crisis. People ask me this all the time. Are the bees still dying? Absolutely, the bees are still dying. But also, incredible things are happening with the bees and with beekeepers alike as we come into relating again. It's all about relational experiences with the animate earth. What I mean by that is like with the living earth, with the spirit of the plants, the spirit of the bees, and then the actual bees themselves. They're here, here to be a bridge species, to be a clarion call, and they are so incredibly evolved as a species. They exist in a superorganism in a colony of sisters and brothers held together and held in communion with a mother who we call the queen. The bees and their plight, it's gotten our attention. I, I think I already said this, but I feel like they grabbed our attention and it wasn't so much, oh my gosh, the bees are in distress, which is how the humans experienced it, but much more the bees going, the humans are in distress and they have lost themselves and they've created patterns that are not sustainable. And thank God for the bees telling us that something's mm. not working because they, they can teach us through observation, through meditation, through science, through ecology, through activism, and through really listening over and over again. You know, people ask me, like, what do you mean by listening? What, what, do, what do you mean listening to the bees? It can be as simple as sitting in front of a beehive. What happens in your body? And how do you have to be within yourself in order to stay there and be calm and relax into the presence of bees and also not get stung? So that's the form of listening. And that's what the bees are teaching us is listen again, listen again. Here we have all of these beekeepers out there saying, okay, you got to do this, this, and this, and pour these chemicals into and, da, 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 and move the bees around. And, and that's one voice that's based on an old system of imbalance that I honestly trace all the way back 2,000 years to the advent of patriarchy at the expense of the feminine. Yes, we can have masculinity, absolutely honored, beautiful, sacred, but not at the expense of the feminine. So womb-bodied people are, try, are, are working to have a voice and a relationship to their wombs as mirrored also in the earth and the caves and the oceans. I think that's part of, part of the medicine. And then there's this other side of beekeepers and bee people who have actually started to find real solutions. Wild bees, it turns out, are starting to thrive again. Look at Tom really? Healy's work. Yeah. Yeah, I would highly recommend looking into the uh, Learning from the Bees conference and Tom Seeley's work around wild bees. People are turning to the wild bees to ask the wild bees how they live and changing how they keep bees. And if we did that over and over again and everything and how we steward we would change things like fires, fire ecology, this idea of mm -hmm. us in the wilderness out there. That's, that's kind of a false idea. There was always tending to the land. People actually did cool burns so they would prevent something called hot burns, which is what Australia is experiencing now. Mm. So we are not cut out of the fabric of things. We need to weave ourselves back in. Mm. 
Yeah, I'm really feeling in your words this this concept you're you're talking about, which is the bees being the bridge. And it's, you know, whether it's a bridge back to old ways or bringing old ways into a new way of being, I've had a really hard time feeling any sort of comfort or hope, but you've given it to me in this moment of, of like the gift of listening and of tuning in with, yeah, what the bees are telling us, what the earth is telling us. And it's, it's just so interesting um, the sort of bee conversation is just like the bees are dying and it's our fault. And it can feel um, just so fatalistic. It can feel like why, you know, it just doesn't really always give me action beyond like, should I stop drinking almond milk? But it's, there's something here where I, now I want to go sit in front of a hive and hear the hum. And I want, I want to understand it in a deeper way, feel it in my bones. It's very resonant, <laughs> no pun intended. You can really feel it. And it's so necessary that we we have to feel the eco-grief. We have to. We have to feel yeah. in our bodies. That's part of reclaiming the feminine in men and women and uh, gender fluid people alike is to feel the grief. But we can't get stuck in the apathy that can follow. So in order to do that, we have to claim that there is a different narrative that can be told that yes we are at the 11th hour but we can thread the eye of the needle and come into a different relationship and that we have tools to do so that are both incredible and modern and and technology technology related and so ancient so ancient and and that ancient wisdom while there are lineages that are kind of resurfacing and incredible research going on and, and traditions coming back up and indigenous wisdom connected to the bees or the the whales or, or, or there's also the fact that you, whoever you are listening, that you, Becca, have a body and that body is so wise and is so connected. We have to remember that and the bees help us remember that. Interestingly enough, they're beings that can completely disembody and re-embody in the form of swarming. They give birth to themselves over and over again. And so they have this way of showing us, yes, that they're bridges. They're bridges from death to life to death to life again. They're a bridge between the wild and the domestic because no beehive is ever truly domesticated. They mm. are a bridge between this world and the other world, which is why people have seen them as representing souls coming into the body and souls leaving the body. They're seen as midwives to death. They're seen as lovers of the earth. So they have a lot of roles. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I like remember this tidbit from that class you taught about um, bees and sexuality and how like the majority of bees are female, first of mm -hmm. all. In a, in a hive, which I was like, cool, very cool. And then that in their final few weeks of life, they are basically in a state of orgasm because they're just going around and pollinating. <laughs> Is that what you said? Because I took it as that. Yes, yes and no, but yes, you're right. So, so most likely what I was getting at was that there are – the bees are the lovers for the flowers, certainly, absolutely, all of them. But there are actually two kinds of female bees. So in the last two weeks of their life, they have matured enough to be foragers, to leave their hive and go out into the world and follow scent trails through the landscape to the flowers. And as we all know, flowers and, flowers and bees kind of co-evolve together. There are certain bees that forage for the experience of the flower and they will find the flower and just devour that experience, roll in the pollen, roll in the light, absorb the light, absorb the dance, absorb the sound, the, the feeling, the everything, just absorb it all and bring that back to their sisters at the hive. And at the hive inside, they will perform an ecstatic dance, um, kind of a vibrating, shaking dance in the form of a figure eight or a lemniscate. It's called the waggle dance. 
And so she is, that bee in particular is just absolutely making love to the flower, bringing back the story of that ecstatic experience. And then her sisters will follow her back or follow her, um, her, lang- her, her dance language, which tells them where to go back to the flower. And sometimes some of them will bring back more information about the flower. And sometimes they'll just start to harvest pollen and nectar and bring that back as food for the hive. So there are what we would call it, it we talk about it in the pollen ways as the maternal and the magnetic types. The, ma- the magnetic mm-hmm. being she who is magnetized to the earth and magnetizes the earth to her. And the, the mother maternal as she who, you know, provides that uh, nectar of life. And that within the landscape of what it is to be a woman, we are looking at these relationships to the bees or these ways the bees have taught us to relate and seeing how can we be both and we we are starting to have a place where we can talk about goddess culture again over the last 60 70 years and and the pl- a place for the mother but what about the magnetic what about she who is sovereign in her sexual experience and exploration and ecstatic uh, like lovership with the earth and with all things and where where does she have a role to play in mm. our lives and our bodies mm, which is unwinding and unlearning so much you know re- religious patriarchal programming that has stripped us of sexuality and of of yeah eros of our and 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 making it about so much more than just the act about about it's really about a a deep deep connection with with all of life and so that's really a beautiful conduit I think um is that the kind of work you do on your retreat in France (laughs) okay wait this is what I want to know (laughs) on your retreat in France do you do you sit on the stools and are you an oracle <laughs> to the earth? Um, <laughs> or maybe you can't. Yes. Say. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say it. Um, there, there is, I mean, <laughs> we don't have tripods to sit on anymore, but you know, we we're working with how, how can you make this accessible now? What is it to be holding this potency now as a, a woman now in this body? So at this time, in the, on the earth. And I really have to nod to my teacher, Naomi Lewis, who who is such an advocate for bringing this beautiful lineage and birthright that we all carry in, in ourselves, regardless of what culture we come from, but to be, to be women who speak for the earth and of the earth, to bring it through into modernity. So yes, we do work with oracular uh, modalities that I, I've been taught over the years and practiced extensively. Mm. We also work with that relationship to what I would call Eros or the ecstatic understanding that it goes far beyond having a partner or not having a partner or the act of love in that way that I think one of my favorite examples is there's, there's a moment in the movie Amelie where she's mm. walking through a market and she puts her hand in a um, barrel of grain and closes her eyes and you see her have this sensory sensate experience that that connection to letting things move you and feeling the sensuality of the earth it's part of our birthright and it's forgotten so yes i do teach I do teach some of that. Um, I don't. I don't have a cavern for us to go into. We go into our <laughs> interior cavern. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, that scene in Amelie really, really. I mean, that is one of my favorite films, and I think one of that scene and a few others. Even when she's like guessing how many people are having orgasms right now, or yeah. like, there's just and the way her face, you know, is just like filled with like delight and mischief and wonder. And I think I'd never really seen that before that came out. uh, I was in college and I just felt so delighted. And and I love how you're connecting that experience, you know, especially for folks who like maybe feel like a fear of connecting with their bodies, a fear of connecting with sensuality, with arrows, with, with bees shit, you know, like it's all, it's all, 
probably a big initiation into a deeper relationship. And It is. We can't pretend there isn't trauma there too, whether it's in your life or in your family lineage or just what it is to be womb-bodied. And I, I do speak to men too, but in this case, I'm speaking to womb-bodied people. You know, we have to touch the traumas that are there. And so sometimes the way in is what does it feel like to run a rose down your cheek and smell the scent of a rose? And then what does it feel like to imagine that you are that rose to flower? Mm. What is it to be she who flowers and she who flows? It's it's these moments of connecting with something that is so innocent but we've been divorced from it for so many years. It's this deep reclamation. I am, um, man, time goes so fast. We have to wrap up soon, but I have, I have one more question, which is probably a really big one, but what the role of the serpent, I find that to be very interesting from so many, from a mythic perspective, from like a modern day, like the fear of the serpent from the just, Christian stories of fear of the serpent to like the banishing of the serpents of Ireland that St. Patrick did like the role of the serpent. And you, you brought up, you brought up Pythoness earlier. So I guess I'd love to hear more about snakes (laughs) from Mm. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I just hang out with venomous creatures as my ally, <laughs> but, you know, like celebrate the beauty and the fertility of the earth, but hang out with well, okay, a python isn't isn't venomous, but I always think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, so okay, to talk about the serpent, we we have to go back to how people have perceived different animals and perceived the earth. So life came from the earth. The earth was seen as both womb and tomb. And in the springtime, two very distinctly powerful beings that carried potent medicine and also carried death showed up. The snakes came out of the holes and the caves and the caverns of the earth. And it was believed that they lived in the womb of the earth. Like they, they lived in the underworld and um, and the bees came out of the earth or came out of trees and caves. Mm-hmm. And if we look at the earth and remember that the earth was seen as Gaia or as mother, there's this immediate connection between the serpent and the bee as being rooted in the feminine. And of course, there's the phallic aspect of the serpent as well. But in these ways, in the Pythonist ways, there's a strong connection to what we might call the serpentine life force energy in the earth, that which snakes and coils, we actually even can see it and track it in the form of ley lines or what they might mm. call Aboriginal song lines. Um, there's different names for it, but it's the the serpentine fluid energy that moves through the earth. Well, at Delphi, there is a myth connected strongly to that energy and connected to Python or Delphine, the dragoness, Gaia's daughter, or the first oracle. And it was Python, this serpent, this serpent goddess, who gave the priestesses the wisdom and they spoke it. And so they became Pythia or Pythonesses because they were embodying the Pythonic wisdom or the wisdom of the earth. The patriarchal myth that supplanted that was one of the sun god Apollo coming in and uh, killing the serpent and taking over as the godhead, taking over as the entity or the god or the energy that gave the priestesses their oracles. So it then became the temple of Apollo at Delphi. But prior to that, what we're really hearing is a story of the feminine mysteries that you can find throughout old Europe and the power of the subterranean, of the dark, of listening in the dark, of listening in that wombic darkness, of listening to the to the serpent and the serpent being a, uh, an energy that's incredibly wise and deeply tied to cycles of regeneration. Again, the serpent swallowing its own tail, that, that idea of life into birth and, and, and 
birth into death and death into life again, the cyclical relationship that is so embodied in the serpent and the bee. So that's mm. where the Pythoness came from. Cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I could listen to that all day. Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting point to examine if you if you want to start going and say like, what what really happened is as all of these yeah. different threads got seemingly severed and cut as the serpent was slain, like did it really die, or is that a myth about how an old way went had to go into hiding, but hasn't died and is alive and and, and wants to be listened to again within all of us? Right. I'm also thinking of the the frame of Shakti energy and awakening Shakti. Yes. Absolutely. And and just how that presents in the body and the way yeah. it's danced and moved. Yeah, absolutely. So bringing it up through the body. So again, like the oracular temple priestesses were bringing up the what they would call like the breath of, serp, of the serpent and the breath of the earth through the lower part of their body and then speaking it out through the upper part of their body, right? So that's why they were sitting mm. over the crack in the earth and breathing in the fumes of the serpent. But this is what I love. This gets me so jazzed because you <laughs> here it is in Delphi. Well, also there it is over in Lithuania and the stories of tending to the serpents that live under the houses. Oh, and there it is over in the Kundalini rising and there it is in the Shakti and there and there and there. It's, it's not owned. It has flavors and myth moves and myth is, is deeply informed wisdom from the land speaking to you. So wherever you find it, there's, there's, you're going to find it somewhere else too. <laughs> and there's going to be these mirrors. And instead of feeling divided or like you don't know which way to go, I, I like to think of it as how to, how to be more inclusive in the storied wisdom that sits within the female form, for instance, and the earth body and the animals that move within it and upon it. Yeah, and I find it very validating to my Western mind, you know, my sort of like sciencey prove it, is this crazy, am I crazy? Totally. Sort of part of me where I'm like, okay, listen, there it is there, and there it is there, and there it is there, and it feels right, like you can't deny it. You know, that yeah. just feels good. I completely agree, and it also gives you permission in a different way to to play with it, to explore it, because we're we're all kind of struggling with like, where are my roots and where, where is, what is lineage even? Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. I'm pretty sure we just got a little of what we could speak about. Maybe you'd like to come back and I really want you to talk about dreaming in the future. (laughs) Yeah. That's the other thing I do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of who you are and, and your work and everything. And um, so people can find you on Instagram on beekeeping and skirts and they can go to your website, which is honey bee wild, honey bee wild, two E's on the B. So if you could maybe share, I mean, definitely everyone go to France in September. <laughs> maybe if you want to share a little bit about what you're up to this year. Yeah, no problem. So the major retreat I have this year is in France. Um, I'm still, there's still some things on the horizon. I might even go over and teach with Liz again in New York. <laughs> It'd be fun. Oh, cool. I know. We talked about it. We'll see. So the, the France program is, it's actually filling up kind of fast. So uh, we just oh, got that it. out there. But it is a week in France. I also do um, online classes and I do dream work, dream teleconferences for people that are usually either five weeks or six weeks working with the bees and also with the serpent and intentional dream work. So that can be a nice kind of toe in the water around working with bees beyond the physical. And then I also will be starting a nine-month online Becoming Beekeepers program in February. So th- by the time this comes out, that will that will be announced and available for people. And that's both looking at like practical beekeeping knowledge as well as some of the folklore. To be honest, a lot of this shamanic stuff is still being developed into new offerings and new workshops. So keep your eyes out. I don't I don't know exactly how it's going to show up for the rest of the year, but 
that gives you a little taste as to what I'm up to. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, just to, to say for anyone out there who's considering keeping bees and maybe feels a little green, um, there are, there are different methods and schools of thought. And I have to say Ariella is, is like of the, of natural, the loving earth loving ways. And so highly recommend, I haven't taken it with you. I'm not a beekeeper yet, but just from having conversations with various beekeepers, I now feel pretty strongly that there are, there are ways to do it that actually feel more earth and nature and bee honoring than others. And I think yours is one of those. Thank I you. to promote it in that way. I appreciate that. That is my aim. And I feel like I'll be learning about how to do that my entire life. So you can join me on that journey if you feel like it. <laughs> well, thank you again for joining me. It's such an honor. It's I just love your work so much and love the thank retreats you. you're teaching and taking people mm-hmm. on. And this mm-hmm. podcast in particular is really such a gift. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.